The human resources function and the human resources department, like any department or business unit within the company, is a business. It's a business that deals with the most important part of the company, its people. It's not a profit center for the company, at least not a direct one. At the same time, not all departments in the company generate profits. But just like any other business, it must have a strategy. Otherwise, it will just be pulled in multiple different directions and be unproductive and ineffective. In this episode, I will adapt my strategy development process to the human resources department. The analogy that I use when facilitating strategy workshops is the GPS navigation system in your car. And I will start by defining what strategy is. This is the first part of a two-part series, right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? Once again, I did a little uh, LinkedIn survey uh, and asked uh, who is responsible for developing an HR strategy and why them and not anyone else. Uh, I only got 12 responses to the survey, so I'm, I'm going to be careful with uh, with considering the numbers too, uh, uh, too much. Uh, one option was the VP or uh, the VP of HR or the CHRO, the Chief HR Officer. Uh, that received 42%. So five out of 12 people said it's the uh, head of the HR department. Uh, one person or 8% said uh, the entire HR department. So everybody in HR. Uh, five people out of 12 or 42% again said the CEO or, or executive staff. I'm, I'm going to extend it. And then again, one person, 8% uh, said uh, all the employees. So again, I'm not going to rely on it too much because the number is pretty low and therefore the uh, mar uh, margin of error is going to be pretty high. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that the HR strategy will affect all the employees in the company. I'm a big believer that if it affects you, you should be part of the discussion. And therefore, I would say that the uh, HR strategy should be or the development and implementation of the HR strategy should be the responsibility of everyone. And it kind of goes back to my, the title of my seventh book, Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss. Uh, everybody in the company is responsible for that. Uh, but, but it's not just that everybody as in all employees, but think about the HR department, the people who are going to be charged with executing on this strategy. They need to be part of it. It, it can't I'm not a big believer of uh, it's going to drop from the top. So the CEO will tell the VP of HR or the chief HR officer, this is what your HR strategy needs to be. Uh, or the, the VP of HR will tell the department, this is what the strategy is, go implement it. Um, I, I think that everybody needs to be involved in creating it. But, you know, it cannot be developed in a vacuum. 
it must be aligned with the other strategies in the company. It must be compliant with the other strategies in the company. I mean, if you look at the company's top strategy, top level strategy, um, there are going to be part there that are going to have to be implemented through an HR strategy. So part of the role of the HR strategy is to help materialize the overall company strategy. So it's not it's not developed in a vacuum. It has to be developed and aligned with other strategies in the company. But I can't talk about strategy without actually defining what strategy is. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to waste your time or mine in, in looking at dictionary definitions of what strategy is. Uh, and, and a lot of the scholars who wrote about strategy and wrote strategy books uh, have different uh, positions on what strategy is. I'm going to give you mine. Okay, my definition. And one of the things that every time I facilitated a uh, strategy development session to what, whatever group or company it was, uh, whether I worked there or, or helped them from the outside, uh, here are some of the answers that I got when I asked them, because I, I like to start it with asking the question, what is strategy? And, and what I found was that uh, in, in most cases, people cannot define strategy to save their lives. Um, and so um, here is what people told me when I asked them, what is strategy? One person said, uh, what my boss does, that's strategy. What I do, that's tactical. I'm, I'm implementing a strategy. But uh, how do I know that it's strategic? It's because that's what uh, my boss does. W one of the best, uh, you, you know, obviously a lot of people said strategy is long-term uh, versus tactics that, that are short-term. Uh, to me, by the way, it's also a matter of uh, strategy looks at the bigger picture while um, uh, tactics are small implementations. I mean, strategy is how you win a war. Uh, tactics are how you win a specific battle within that war. Uh, so it's it's a matter of the size of the picture and whether it's all encompassing or not. Um, and uh, you know, one of one of the best answers I got. Well, I'm not going to say best. It's the funniest, probably. Somebody told me once that when my boss tells me to do something because it's it has strategic importance, that means it's not going to generate any revenue. So I, I love that. Uh, you know, one day I was uh, facilitating that session, uh, a strategy development session, and uh, I asked that question. And again, I didn't get anything that, that got us anywhere near defining what strategy is. And then I had a thought. Uh, you know, this was a, a summer session. It was August in Texas, very hot in Texas in August. And uh, everybody had to drive to, to where we had the, the event, the strategy uh, development workshop. And I asked, um, what is strategy? Didn't get anything of uh, significant value, anything that got us near defining what strategy is. And then I asked them, who here parked their cars in the shade? Because it, it was hot, the sun was uh, boiling and... Pretty much everybody raised their hands. I mean, everybody was thinking about, uh, oh, I'm going to leave my car in the shade. And, you know, you, you could see that they were looking around going, oh, we're we're good. We, we understand we're strategic because we parked the car in the shade because we understand that the sun is hitting our cars. And I asked them to lower their hands. And then I asked them a second question. Who here parked their cars? where the shade is going to be at 4 p.m. when we wrap this up. 
wasn't a single hand, but I think that was the moment where they understood what strategy really was. Uh, and, and one of the, the terms that I use is uh, strategy is uh, parking your car where the shade is going to be at 4 p.m. It's not, and, and you know, strategy is not just something that's completely within our control and, and its execution. It has to exist within the environment. And uh, that means that you have to consider what the environment is. Well, I said uh, what strategy is, uh, but what what is what strategy is not? What is strategy not? It's not a 40 page document that nobody will remember. Too many times I've seen documents, strategy documents that, uh, you know, once I, I met with a uh, uh, with an executive in a company that wanted me to help them build the strategy. And uh, I asked, uh, what is the strategy? And he took out this uh, this very nicely bound, printed, uh, high quality material, pictures, images, nice font, not too many uh, words in every page, strategy document. And I took the strategy document and I asked once again, uh, what is your strategy? And he said, well, you're looking at it. And I said, no, that's I, I know that I'm looking and I know that I'm holding it, but I want you to tell me what the strategy is. And obviously he couldn't remember what's in the 40 page document and mainly because the 40 page document was not done for the purpose the strategy should be done and that is to guide us in every decision we need to make. It needs to be simple. It cannot be something complex. And you know what? And it should not be something that you make just so that other people will see it, just so that you can show other people because you end up not implementing it. It ends up being a document on the shelf uh, with absolutely no use whatsoever. So it has to be something that um, that's easy to remember. I, I like to uh, end up every time I ended up a strategy development session, we ended up with one page. That's it. It's one page that tells us where we want to go. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you what's in, in the strategy, but it's a one page that is simple to understand. It doesn't have a single word there that doesn't need to be there. It is not stupid. It does not have obvious meaning. It tells us what to do when, whenever we need to make a decision. So whenever you need to make a decision, if you're not clear, that one page should be a page that you look at and you go, oh, now I know how I need to decide. It's a simple document that gets everyone on the same page. I mean, when, when companies generate a 40 page document, even if it's for just one department, um, you know, they send it to all the employees. They, they can't even bring themselves to force the employees to read it. There's no discussion. It's like, here is the strategy. It's like Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Thou shall execute on this. Uh, no questions, no ifs, no buts. Um, it shouldn't be that way. It, it should be something simple. Actually, the Ten Commandments are very simple. And you know what? Maybe that's the original strategy document. And that's what it needs to be. There are 10 rules there, period. That's it. I think it's lacking the mission and where do you want to be, but that's that's besides the point. So it gets everybody on the same page. And back to the process of developing the strategy, I think that for the strategy to be effective, you have to 
involve everyone who has an input to that strategy, whether they're affected by it or not. But if there is an input that you think you need to have for, for developing that strategy, like, you know, insights from the outside world. Uh, when I helped a business unit in Texas Instruments develop a Wi-Fi component strategy, I involved people from the uh, uh, broadband communications business unit, from the cellular business unit, from the semiconductor manufacturing business unit. Those were people who were not directly affected by the outcome of the strategy that we were developing, but that they had input to provide to us when we develop the strategy. And, and I'll talk more about that uh, uh, later. Um, it, it should involve everyone who's going to be affected. And everybody who's going to be affected uh, in terms of employees, and no, I'm, I'm not advocating. If you have a company with uh, 5,000 employees, I'm not suggesting that all 5,000 employees be involved in it, but get a few, uh, mainly the thought leaders, maybe the people that um, will will be the best in representing the employees, in telling you what employees really feel. People who don't hold back and, and are going to tell you what they think you want to hear, uh, but instead they're actually going to tell you what you need to hear to build a strategy. Uh, involve the HR department. Here's where I'm going to say try and involve as many of them as possible because they're going to be responsible for executing it. So anybody who's going to be affected uh, should be involved. And, and when you involve them, it's easier to implement. They own it. They believe that they own it. Uh, and that's going to be critical. Now, I'm going to take you through a seven-step process. My guess is uh, this is not going to be over in one episode. And the seven-step process, uh, I don't even remember when this started, but uh, I found an analogy. And the analogy is using the GPS navigation system in your car. And it's kind of for everything that, that the GPS navigation system does and, or anything that you do with it. Uh, there is an analogy in building and executing a strategy. And so those seven steps, I'm just going to give you what the seven steps are, and then I'm going to start uh, diving deeper into each one of them. So the first one is uh, you need to find a satellite to know where you are. The second step is putting in the destination. By the way, many people don't realize that there is the first step. They they first they think that the first step is saying where you want to be. It's actually the first step is knowing where you are. Second step is knowing where you want to be, entering the destination. The third step is uh, setting the boundary conditions. Uh, how do I get from where I am to where I want to be? Or what are the limitations? What are the boundaries? Uh, number four is calculating the route. Okay, one, now that I know where I am, where I want to be, uh, and how I can or cannot get there, uh, what is the actual route? Uh, number five is actually executing, following the directions, driving. Number six is how do you know that you get there, that you got there? And number seven is what happens when you have encountered an unexpected surprise uh, when your navigation system is recalculating the route. So I'll take you through those uh, seven steps one at a time. And for each one of them, I'm going to tell you, you know, the analogy itself. What does the car navigation system do? I'm going to give you general. Uh, how does that correlate to building strategy, a general strategy? 
And then uh, when it's applicable, I'll talk about uh, what's specifically uh, true for uh, the HR strategy, developing an HR strategy. Let's start. Step one, the first thing that a navigation system does is finding where it is. What it actually does is it's looking for satellites. The way the uh, GPS system works is that there are satellites up in the sky that uh, surround the Earth. Um, I don't remember how many uh, there are today that were sent up there uh, starting the 1970s. Uh, and they know exactly where they are relative to Earth. I mean, really, really exactly. And then what your car navigation system actually does is it listens to that satellite. Each one of those satellites tells the navigation system uh, in your car exactly where it is, the, the satellite that is, and what time is it on that satellite. Well, based on the distance from those different satellites that we receive, we determine through triangulation, uh, actually it's three-dimensional triangulation with redundancy and all. I'm not going to get into the technicalities of it, uh, but I was involved in, in that uh, area of technology in the past. But based on all of that, the car determines, uh, well, you know, if I can hear all those satellites and I know uh, what time it is, I know where I am. Okay. Now, the car would not let you enter a destination before it says, I know where I am. So that's the first thing we do. It used to be that this process could take up to 30 minutes, which, you know, that was way before the time where cars had navigation systems. Now it's happening within seconds or it's actually happening all the time. Um, but it's within seconds. But that's the first step. Let's talk about strategy uh, in general. In general, you cannot build a strong strategy without a good appreciation to where you are today. You have to know where you are today. Uh, because, you know, j just like with the car, you can't just say, turn right, turn left. Uh, I know where I want to be. I just don't know how where I am. Because if you don't know where I am, you, you can calculate how to get there. So you have to appreciate where you are today. Now, this is where you are today relative to the marketplace, where you're at. It's relative to the competition and what they're doing. A good old uh, tool is the SWOT analysis, SWOT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And, and you can see that the uh, two of them, the strengths and weaknesses, are relative to the company, to you. Those are internal. Opportunities and threats, they are uh, external. The, these are market conditions. So you have to start with a good, strong understanding of where you are. Typically, by the way, when I help develop a strategy for any organization, we do that separate of the process of developing the strategy itself. So we're, we're trying to separate the where I am from where I want to go. So let's just do the where I am now, where we are. And, and after we're done with that and, and we have a good understanding, we can all reach agreement that this is where we are. Then uh, let's start thinking about where do we want to go? Let's talk about HR strategy. So more specific. The first thing, and, and that's true for general strategy uh, in general, you have to be realistic and true to yourself. If you're not looking at where you are really and where the issues are, you're not going to solve them. 
your strategy is going to have no no baseline. So um, this is not the time to uh, for chest beating or boasting or bragging or whatever we're we're gonna call it. Um, this is not a time to say how great we are. If you're going to say that we're very great, first of all, what's the point in having a strategy? Don't improve anything. The strategy should have a single line that says, do nothing, change nothing. But but that's going to be the value of it. You're not going to change anything. You know, if what you're saying is we're so great that we don't need to change anything, then whatever you really are is not going to change. This is not the time to be protective and defensive and, and say, oh, we, we, we don't want to say we, we don't want to really shine light on the areas for improvement. Again, this goes back to trust that uh, our willingness to give a good direct feedback, the feedback that people need to hear rather than the feedback that we think they want to hear. That willingness to give that kind of feedback is 106% higher when you have trust than when you don't. Uh, even our receptivity is 76% higher. We're willing to listen to people telling us what's wrong or where we are really today as opposed to where we would we wish we would have been today. That goes up 76% when you have high trust. You know, we can actually say that our willingness to admit to the problems that we have today, that's vulnerability. And vulnerability, I found in one of my surveys, is 240% higher when you have trust. So I would say you probably need to start working on trust and making sure you have a high level of trust even before you start this step of uh, uh, determining where you are. Because you're not going to be true to yourself if uh, if you don't determine where you really are. What it does is uh, that first step is it establishes a baseline. You have something to relate to, to compare to, to decide where you want to go. You know, if uh, imagine this, I know where I want to go. I want to go to a certain address. Well, uh, once I know where I am now, I may find out that Heck, that's where I am. I am where I need to be. So I don't need to go anywhere. Uh, so you need to establish a baseline because that lets you calculate a route to where you want to be. Um, ask yourself, what are the metrics that I care about? You know, I, this uh, the metrics could be uh, employee engagement. And, uh, you know, I have to say something about employee engagement, uh, uh, specifically employee engagement assessments. I talked about that a lot in uh, episode eight of this season, season eight. So season eight, episode eight actually has two parts that were released on the same day. So it's a pretty long, but I talked about the issues. Um, it's actually told uh, it, it's titled uh, a few hard truths about employee engagement surveys. There are issues with that. So you got to be very careful when you deploy employee engagement surveys or assessments. Um, but you have to decide what are the metrics that you care about, the, the areas where you, you think that your strategy you're going to care about. Uh, with strategies. So, for example, if you, if you take the car navigation system, you care about geo, uh, geographical location. That's what you care. That's your metric, where I am. Um, you know, if it's a healthcare strategy, maybe you care about uh, other things. Um, I'm actually in the next part, I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, specific metrics. So, I'm, I'm not going to 
uh, dig too deep here. Uh, ask yourself, how do I measure them? So how do I know them? And there is a book, uh, uh, I can't remember the author right now, but it's called How to Measure Anything. Uh, because anything, everything, uh, as intangible as you think it is, can be measured. And the question is only how. How do you measure it? Uh, and uh, again, you know, I already kind of gave you a hint that uh, a lot of those metrics may be related to trust. And so maybe trust is the thing that you need to work on first. You need to be able to measure trust. And I talked about that in actually in a previous season. Uh, there was an episode that uh, I believe was titled, Why is it so hard to measure trust? But uh, it is possible because anything is possible to measure. And you need to start by measuring trust uh, if it has uh, impact. Besides, in, in general, you need to think about uh, the, uh, the cause and effect. You know, you may be thinking about uh, how do I uh, improve on a certain metric when there is actually an underlying condition that would prevent it from improving. So maybe what you want to do is work on, their, on that underlying condition or underlying metric, which to me, uh, there's a reason why this is my area of focus. To me, the underlying metric is almost always trust or lack of trust. So you, you need to start working on that. And, and probably the, the, the causes for the low level of trust, maybe, maybe we start with that. Maybe those are the things that we need to measure. And, and decide where we are today before we start thinking about improving. Step number two. After step one, we've established where we are. Step number two, we are ready to determine our destination. Enter destination. Where do you want to go? In the car, you know, it's you don't just tell the navigation system, drive. You know, it's it needs to know where it needs to go because otherwise uh, there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of possibilities. You know, you're gonna hit the first light, and then there are three options: turn right, turn left, or go straight. And you can't make that determination without knowing where you want to go. Okay, that's uh, pretty obvious. So, in general, when you build the strategy, a general strategy, we're not yet at HR. Um, the question, the first question is, what is the time horizon? Um, are we trying to build a strategy that has a two-year time horizon, maybe even a three-month time horizon? And that, that could be, in certain cases, um, a time horizon that makes sense. For some companies, some industries, the time horizon for a strategy could be 25 years, 50 years. You know, take the oil and gas industry. They don't try and make uh, three-month strategies. They make long-term strategies. So the first question is, what is your time horizon in determining what the destination is? Um, what time horizon makes sense in your industry to what you do? Um, and in determining this is, uh, in, in this time horizon, you need to know that the strategy and the environment will have little probability to change. I mean, they'll change a little, but but not more than, than a little. Um, because if they change a lot, there's no point in trying to develop a strategy that spans over a period of time of very high uncertainty. You need to have some level of certainty. Now, you can have multiple strategies for multiple time horizons. 
So, you know, we have a one-year strategy, which is a part of a five-year strategy that obviously is defined at higher layer components. Um, you may have a, a five, ten-year strategy or, or whatever, you know, uh, or beyond. Again, uh, there could be multiple strategies that exist at the same time. I would say that most likely what you're going to have is, well, one of two things. One is that the shorter time strategies are derivatives of strat longer term strategies or the shorter, the shorter term strategies address different things than the longer term strategies would. So you can have multiple strategies. I, I personally, I don't like to have multiple strategies. I like to have one strategy because then it's, it's just more to remember, more things that can, you know, um, misguide you or or conflict with one another. So you're going to have uh, one strategy. Would Remember, a strategy needs to tell you how to make decisions in certain circumstances. Um, but, uh, you know, in some cases, uh, one strategy would tell you to go left, one strategy, the other strategy will tell you to go right. Now, what do you do? That's, that's one of the main reasons why I prefer to have um, one strategy. Um, and again, they, they need to be consistent. They, consistent. they should not uh, tell you to do opposite things in, for different time horizons, because that, that's just going to be confusing and uh, ineffective. The the way I look at that destination is the destination is, you know, it goes by different names, whether you call it our mission statement, our strategic intent, doesn't matter how you call it. I'm, I'm not locked to uh, this, um, you know, vision, I think, uh, is kind of a stretch because I think that vision is more how you see the future, how you believe the future is going to be, but without actually saying what your role is in the future, which typically would be a mission statement. Uh, or a strategic intent statement, but but again, uh, I, I'm not I'm not latching on to uh, how you call it. It's it's really it's it's your your destination. By the way, it should not be something that is stupid and uh, or or meaningless. I should say, um, and and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Too many times I've seen statements that are just motherhood and apple pie they're all good but they still don't tell you anything about where you want to be i remember one time i was working with this group that uh, did electronic manufacturing and uh, i asked them to come up with a mission statement they came up with the mission statement by the way one of my biggest beliefs is that it should not have more than 13 words should not be more than 13 words long I don't remember why I, I used that number. I just remember that I did. Uh, and they came back with a mission statement that was, you know, again, it's motherhood and apple pie. We're going to be the best manufacturer of the highest quality, uh, fastest time and uh, delight our customers. I mean, great. It's like, and, and so I have a test. I, I developed since then, I developed a test for how meaningful a mission statement is. What I tell them is take any component of that mission statement and say the opposite. If the opposite sounds stupid, the original is meaningless because obviously nobody is going to want to consider the opposite, which means that this statement is just stating the obvious, right? It's meaningless. It's not giving any direction. So, you know, they came up with that mission statement. And uh, in response, uh, I said, let's let's turn around any 
part of that mission statement. So instead of delighting our customers, we're going to make our customers hate us. Does that make sense? No, that's stupid. Well, if that's stupid, then the original is obvious and meaningless. It's not doesn't have the quality of giving us direction. Uh, so what we ended up turning it around is again, remember that I told you that you need to do an analysis and kind of see where you are as an organization and where the environment is. And they they determined that the uh, the environment um, was determined by two parameters, two variables. One was the quantity of the electronic products that they manufactured. Uh, there were companies that could build small quantities. There were companies that could build large com uh, quantities and the quality of their production. And quality typically determines certain processes, certain equipment, uh, you know, time, um, cost that's associated with it. And so there was high quality and low quality. So for example, telecom equipment uh, required, uh, which that company was, was building components, uh, parts for the telecom uh, industry. And the telecom industry requires very high quality. You know, the toy industry doesn't require high quality, at least not the electronics part of it. So I asked them, how do you, where do you place all the competitors? Well, low quality, that was offshore, you know, mostly China, uh, whether it's low quantity or high quality, you could find somebody to build very low quantity uh, at low quality, uh, no problem. When it went to high quality, you stopped going on sh offshore and you started working with uh, American manufacturers, but they typically, the big electronic manufacturers, they would only handle the big clients. Uh, that's that's what their business is based on, not delivering low quantities. So uh, high volume, high quality was occupied by the big tier one manufacturers. That kind of left one box, uh, one quadrant, and that was the high quality, low quantity, where apparently nobody other than that group that I was working with was doing anything. And I said, that's great. There is a differentiator here. And we ended up with a mission statement that said, we're going to deliver high quality products to those customers that tier one manufacturers would not serve. That's what ended up being our mission statement or strategic intent statement. And that made it clear where we want to go. Uh, so just just remember again uh, the the first analogy when I dis dis defined what uh, sun uh, what uh, strategy is I told you strategy is uh, where you park your car defining where you want to park your car where the sun is going to be at 4 p.m. where when it matters because that's going to be the time we end our session and you want the car to be in the shade then and not uh, now now doesn't matter. And so it's really defining a, a mission statement or a strategic intent that um, defines where the car is going to be or where the sun is going to be at 4 p.m. and therefore where you need to park uh, your car. And, and it shouldn't be a statement that is meaningless or, or obvious. How do you define that destination? How do you find that destination? I used in the past several different processes. Um, one of them was scenario planning. Uh, believe it or not, actually, we facilitated, I facilitated a scenario planning uh, workshop, three-day workshop 
that ended up coming up with the recommendation of putting Wi-Fi in phones, which is what we have today. We didn't back then. Uh, War Games is another uh, session, another uh, type of workshops that, that's more reactive. Scenario planning is more reactive to changes in the environment. War Games is more reactive uh, to, to being in a competitive landscape and what your competitors and customers uh, will do specifically. Uh, you want to know what the industry will do, what technologies will be available, uh, what will society be like? Uh, I'll talk more about uh, about the, the what are those things for HR, for example, in, in a minute. Um, where do you want to be? Uh, now, again, you have to be creative on one hand and pragmatic in, in where you you can be. Uh, we're not talking about boundaries yet, but but you have to, again, be be a little pragmatic in. Uh, well, you know, am I stretching it too too far uh, where where I want to be? Um, so what does it mean to HR for HR? It could be relative to the current metrics. Uh, so, you know, in the first step, uh, defining where you are, you define certain metrics that you care about. You defined where you are today. So let's say that your turnover rate is 40% annually and your goal is to reduce it to 20%. So there you go. You, you know, th this is a one item strategy. Our turnover rate today is 40%. We want it to be 20%. That's our, our destination. So it could be relative to the current metric. By the way, now you can see why it was so important to know where you are today. Because just saying our, our goal is that our turnover rate would be 20%. And you you don't realize that your current turnover rate is twelve percent, which means that you'd actually increase it. So you need to know if if it's relative to what the current metrics or the current measurements, the current values are. You need to know what the current va values are. Um, you know, you really need to ask uh, the same questions as uh, as I gave you uh, for a general strategy. What, what technologies will be available uh, in the HR uh, field? Um, what will society be like? Um, you know, things that, that affect you more specifically. Are we going to a four-day work week? Um, will we have more remote, more uh, hybrid work? And, and this is, by the way, where, remember, I told you the input to your strategy should also come from people outside of the company, like research companies, uh, reports. What do they think? What, what do they believe? You, you got to be careful when you when you rely on those because you want to make sure that you're relying on things that, that are relative to you, uh, to your company and not uh, any other um, company and, and that the surveys were done on people that are like your employees or like your company. Uh, should we expect another pandemic? I mean, we just went through COVID. So uh, uh, is that something we need to consider? Uh, is there going to be employee shortage? Are we going to be closer to full employment or uh, high unemployment? Where does artificial intelligence play in all of this. And, and I have to tell you, I, I was recently interviewed on a TV show that uh, still not out there. I think it's going to be uh, uh, broadcasted in, in a, a couple of weeks. But uh, there was one item there. Somebody, an expert, said something I never thought about in the context of artificial intelligence. 
we are always employees are always afraid that artificial intelligence or robots will take over their jobs. Well, they have been doing that for many, many, many years, you know, from the production line uh, to the semiconductor uh, production that I know that today there's like 12 people is what it takes to have a production line in a company like Texas Instruments in one of their fabs, uh, fabrication uh, facilities. Uh, that's not too many people. Uh, you get a lot of robots. I mean, uh, uh, you saw that uh, servers in restaurants, they're starting to use robots to, to deliver, uh, which means that some jobs will go away. But here's the thing to consider. What's our current un unemployment rate? We're around 3%. So specific jobs may have gone away, but new jobs were created. So something to think about with AI, when, when you're worried that AI is going to take over uh, jobs and everybody's going to be unemployed, AI has been around for many, many years and has taken over many, many jobs, but new jobs were created and we're still in pretty close to full employment. So ask yourself what jobs will be replaced by robots or, or AI, artificial intelligence uh, in general, and what will not. So those are the type of things that you have to ask yourself to determine where is it that, that you want to uh, go over. Again, you know, what, what kind of metrics uh, can you or should you include in a um, uh, in, in your strategic intent or, or your missions, your destination, uh, maybe reducing turnover, reducing sick days, increasing engagement, uh, increasing job satisfaction. Again, if, if you're talking about internal metrics, as long as you can measure them externally uh, or not, not externally, as long as you can measure them today and, and you can compare and, and have a reasonable uh, goal to, to stretch from where you are today to where you want to be. So ask yourself, where are we today from an HR perspective, the things that related to HR, the things that are affected by HR, um, and where do we want to be in the future? And, and again, my recommendation would be, uh, in your destination, only put things that are relative to what you can measure and know today. And, and are not satisfied with and, and want to improve. Okay, I realize that we're already past 42 minutes uh, for this episode. I don't want to run it uh, longer. Uh, I'm going to continue with this in the next episode uh, for next week. Uh, I touched on uh, two of the most important things that, that launched the process, and that is where you are today and where you want to go tomorrow uh, as part of developing this strategy. Uh, the things that I'm going to cover in the next episode are going to be the boundary conditions in getting from here to there. How do you calculate the route to get from here to there within those boundaries? How do you execute or follow directions uh, to get there? Um, how do you know that you got there? And finally, what happens when you hit some... Uh, unexpected surprise how do you detour how do you recalculate uh, and again for each one of those i'll talk about the car analogy i'll talk about the general strategy development process and i'll talk about more specifically uh hr even though it's it's pretty aligned with what a general strategy development process would be
What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.